This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Biden administration has launched a new version of a program that's helped agencies solve pressing technology problems. U.S. Digital Corps will bring in two-year fellows to be assigned throughout the government. For details, we turn to the director of the Technology Transformation Service at the General Services Administration, Dave Zvinich. Mr. Zvinich, good to have you on. Thanks so much for having me here. Now, this sounds a little familiar to other administrations' efforts to recruit techies into government for short periods of time. What's different this time around? As you correctly note, there have been a number of different programs over the years to bring in technologists into government, things like the U.S. Digital Service, things like the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program and 18F and the like. Those programs were really designed to bring in mid to late career technologists. And it's through the execution of those programs that we really started to see a gap that even though these programs were bringing in really excellent and skilled technologists who had no prior government experience or maybe had been in government before into the fray, we weren't able to bring in early career technologists into government. And so this program is really trying to meet that gap, to bring in junior technologists, really the next generation of leaders into governments to solve the problems that we know exist and to, like I said, meet the challenges with those early career technologists. And is it fair to say that when you say technologists, you mean information technologists? You're not going to bring in, say, aerospace engineers? That's correct. So we're looking at a couple of different disciplines, things like data science, product management, cybersecurity, engineering, and the like. And this program is multi-agency with GSA, as, as is often the case, the agent for carrying it out. Who are your partners here? Well, we have a number of partners. We've been working really closely in the design of the program with the Office of Personnel Management and the Office of Management and Budget initially. But we also have a number of agency partners, CISA, the Veterans Administration, CMS, uh, and CFPB, as well as GSAR, uh, sort of our initial partners where we're going to be deploying fellows. Um, but there are a whole range of, like I said, partners. OSTP has been really engaged in making sure that we get this program off the ground. And we think that's important. This is not just a GSA program. It really is supposed to be a government-wide program, and we look forward to scaling it. And will they, at GSA, be in U.S. Digital Service or the F-18 group, or where will they actually go? So they will be initially hired into the General Services Administration, and then they will be working as Similar to the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program, uh, they will be working at another agency, um, but will have home base as GSA. So they'll be working closely with other agencies, but we'll still call GSA home. And these are term employees? So they will come on as a two-year initial fellowship. And our goal is ultimately that we want these fellows to become federal employees. So that's a big difference from some of the earlier ones where people were expected to come in, do their part, leave their imprint on public service, but then go back to where they came from or some other industry. You know, that's actually one of the great lessons that we've had from those earlier programs. Things like the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program has had extraordinary retention, frankly. You know, we hired folks that had no prior government experience, folks that could do anything else. uh, And they really fell in love with the mission and and the work of government and chose to stay and to become leaders throughout the federal government. And I think that's a credit to, obviously, the program. Also, it speaks to the importance of the mission, and it speaks to just how meaningful the work that the federal government does and the quality of public servants. And will they be geographically dispersed or will they all come into D.C.? You know, I don't think anyone knows the answer to that. As, as we sit right here right now, we are not in person. Uh, we are still geographically dispersed. I'm here in Wisconsin. Uh, I presume you're in the Beltway. And I don't know what that's going to look like uh, at the time when the fellowship actually gets off the ground. So TBD, we'll see how this looks when this uh, gets off the ground. And when you say you're looking at early career people, so they could be possibly in graduate school or even in college for your school, or they could be 
say, in their 20s out in a career already? And do you have a kind of model in your mind? And actually, it's, it's a great point because I want to really I want to be clear about something. You know, when we say early career, I don't mean young necessarily. I don't even mean, you know, recent graduates. We're looking for folks who are early career technologists. These may be folks who are coming out of a coding boot camp. They may have come through reskilling. They may be coming out of an apprenticeship. They may be coming out of the military. They may be coming out of a graduate school. We're really looking at a range of experience in terms of where folks may be coming from, um, but are just starting out as technologists and really trying to get into a meaningful experience as a technologist. We're speaking with Dave Zvinich. He is director of the Technology Transformation Service at the General Services Administration. And how are you making this known publicly? And what are some of the timelines here for getting in applications? Yeah, so we launched just recently. And so we're trying to speak widely and broadly. Um, we're you know, obviously doing a lot of media outreach. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important is that we want to get out into the community. So that's going to be meeting folks where they are. The lesson that uh, we have a couple of folks that have done this work before, really recruited early career technologists. Um, and the lesson that they have shared with me is that you cannot compete for early career talent by just putting something on a job board and calling it a day. You really have to get out into the community. You have to make sure that you're involved with civic tech organizations, that you're getting into the universities, you're getting involved with coding boot camps, getting to know the, the professors, uh, getting to know sort of the folks and helping them understand the opportunity and building a network um, and building the reputation that really is necessary so that people can understand the opportunities that are available to them. This interagency group that is piloting this whole project and through GSA, do you have any particular technical issues in the government in mind already that need solving? I think there are many. One of the things that we will say, though, is that we want to make sure that the fellows are a good fit for the projects. It's really important to me. Uh, it's really important for the program. And it's ultimately really important for going to be important for the fellows and the agencies that they work with, that we set the fellows and the agencies up for success. So if the fellow goes in and they don't have the requisite skills and they're on a project, it's not going to work. So we want to make sure that we are selecting fellows and projects and matching them well together. So at the moment, we have a couple of ideas, but we don't want to be too specific until we have a clear sense of what the candidates are going to look like and what the projects uh, that'll be the best fit will be. And how will they be chosen, the finalists, the ones that come in from the applicant pool? Well, that, that'll all be spelled out in the uh, position description. Uh, if you go to our website at digitalcore.gsa.gov, uh, you can sign up for a mailing list. When we uh, do launch later this fall, you'll be able to apply there, and it'll provide all of the qualifications that'll be necessary in order to apply, um, and it'll spell it all out there. And what if U.S. Digital Service people or 18F people say to you, hey, that should have been our project. We're sitting around here. Why not give us that project? We're already in the government. Well, I hope that actually they'll work together. I, I really do think that one of the things that U.S. Digital Service and 18F and all of the digital services teams, and frankly, all of the technologists in government should welcome the opportunity to work with early career technologists. You know, one of the things that will be important, I think, both for the junior technologists and the fellows, as well as, frankly, some more of the senior technologists, is the opportunity for mentorship. Having worked with folks who are just coming up into the trade, as, as it were, um, you really learn a lot of things from them, um, but you also impart a lot of wisdom to them. And so that mentorship program that we're planning on making part of this work will be useful, as well as, frankly, becoming just part of the team. I think we view, um, and certainly I view my work at, at TTS as partnership. 
uh, when we work with other agencies, it's not my work or your work. It's all partnership to really make sure that we're delivering value to the American public. And so I would be pretty frustrated to hear if 18F were out there saying, hey, that should be my work. Ultimately, we're delivering value to the American public. Uh, and I'd expect that be true for U.S. Digital Core uh, just as much as be true for 18F. Dave Zvinich is director of the Technology Transformation Service at the GSA. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him. 
with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, DC, I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon 
they stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.